0: You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio.
1: Hello, everybody. Natalie cutler Welsh here. Welcome back to another episode of the Up Your Brave show on Reality Check Radio. And today we're diving into the topic of keeping kids safe. And that means different things to different people. And today I'm excited to introduce a new friend of mine, His name is Lionel Anderson. Lionel is an artist, a cultural performer and musician, a dad of two, a traveler and an academic. Welcome to the show, Lionel. Hi. So good to have you here. Um, So Lionel and I met, interestingly, I love the way that Synergy and the universe works. We met um, at my networking club, which is called Empowered Connections. We meet at the beach. Uh, We actually met at the cafe because it was rainy and you came as a guest uh, with a friend of mine and I remember you sitting there and you had this, your arm was in a sling. I think you and I both have a, a frozen shoulder problem. Um, yeah. But it was amazing to meet you. And before we dive in, I just love you to give the, our listeners a little bit of a, a backstory. So you're you're a musician. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Oh, I could. Yep. Okay. I'm a musician. Like most musicians, though, probably uh, do more singing in the shower uh, or sitting with a guitar in the lounge or at the end of my bed um like most people um but dabbled with bands and home studios and and all that jazz and a lot of jamming with friends and family nothing particularly serious but um i've been doing it since i was a teenager so i'd like to call myself a musician but uh well people may say otherwise. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you love music. I. You know, one of the reasons that I wanted to invite you onto this particular episode is when I met you, you know, one of the things you commented on was how the the energy and the vibe and the comp, the level of conversation that we were having at this club. And you're like, this is what men are missing, you know, missing out on just getting together and not talking about, so how's work going? But like having deeper conversations and also talking about the mentoring of men or the mentoring of youth. And I know that you do that in a way through music and um, teaching, you know, some programs for kids. So what are your thoughts on on that? Like, what is it that our youth need? And what are two issues that you're concerned about?
0: Well, we probably don't have enough men in that space is probably the biggest concern. Um, our school's are full of women. Great, but not a lot of men, and probably we have more problems with our, our young kids, our boys, and they probably really do need men. And that's not to dismiss uh, the mahi that's being done by our woman folk, but um, when you when you have boys, you need modelling, and by and large, the modelling needs to be done by men, good men secure men men who know what they're doing men who have sorted themselves out they're on a path they are good they're solid all those things they're pillars um they were once boys obviously is the big advantage and we need more men like that uh so that our young men in particular our young boys teenagers can look up to these men and think okay that's what a sorted man looks like that's that's a that's a goal or a go to or a you know an outcome, and we just don't have enough of that. There's just not enough of that happening for for many reasons.
1: I agree. I mean, we've got three children, and I think my daughter had one male teacher, but he left halfway through the year to go to a private school, and my son had one male teacher, um, and my other son I don't think has ever had a male teacher. So. We, I, we were so excited when they got male teachers, and they're hard to come by. You know, they're few and far between. I know the wages are pretty crappy, um, and it would be a tricky environment, you know, being very much outnumbered. Um, what are some, I agree with you, I would love to see more male teachers and more of that influence. How do you think that would change things for the boys in the classes?
0: Well, I think one of the most effective ways to influence uh, boys or certainly get them motivated, is to actually show how things are done. I mean, you can tell them stuff, you can teach them stuff, but you actually got to do stuff. And for any parent who, who has had children, you've, you've actually got to do it with them. You can't just give them an exercise book and say, follow the instructions. You, you kind of have to do it. And you, you have to be able to do it. I think most boys will be inspired by men who actually do the stuff that they're talking about, that they're trying to teach, rather than giving them instructions or giving them a book to read or something. If you do it with them, you just get much better outcomes. Um, to be a good man, you just need to see good men. I guess that's the, the basic tenant is if you want to be something good, be around people who are good. And you will soon model your behavior after someone who, if if there's a man who stays calm or who looks at a situation and, and looks for a say a peaceful solution or a resolution of sort, and you see that all the time, you're more likely to follow that type of behavior. All right? So you just need to see good men doing good deeds, I guess. Um so modeling for me is I suppose the best way, especially for kids who who may already be averse to reading books or following certain processes that we have set up in our schools, or just sick of school. Um, school is one thing, but watching good men do good things, do good things, that's that's beyond this that's beyond the the curriculum, I guess. Um if you have strong male teachers who are doing what they do. They love what they do. They love teaching. They love kids. Um, I think boys really respond well to that. Yeah.
1: I think so too. And sometimes having a project. So if it's not a school situation, but I've got a friend of mine, I don't know if I told you about him and he really wanted to, he loves cars. Uh, he's in real estate, so he's not, a, he's nothing to do with cars, but he loves cars. And he was saying to me, you know what I'd really love to do. Cause I said, you know, if you were to career courageously create what you wanted what would that be he said nat if what what i really love to do is to mentor young like youth through cars (laughs) you know, teaching them about like we buy a car you know we all pitch in or whatever and we work on it and we tinker and we talk as we you know we're doing so the focus is on the car but it's not about the car and i remember saying to you i think you know you could do something similar with music or or art the i think do you do sculpting as well
0: and i do and that's what i've i did last year um i did a whole lot of mentoring under the under the guise of an art project yeah. um and when i helped tutor kapa Hugger, it's the same thing it's the performing arts but underneath all of the say instructions and so forth is literally mentoring you're, you're literally mentoring the the kids you're not actually teaching them anything you're you're trying to get them excited about something they want to be good at. And it's and it has to be something totally subjective. Which is why maths would be particularly hard uh, if you if you wanted to be a good maths teacher and model behavior during a maths class would be almost impossible. Where in an art class, well, they could you could pander to them regardless of what they were creating good bad ugly indifferent and so forth it doesn't really matter you can still encourage them you can still support them you can tell them sweet nothings and everything's going to be all right that sort of thing you can't really do that with your with your conventional curriculum yeah. you have to use the arts um, which is why I use music uh, the fine arts obviously sculpture, If they can use their hands, uh, that's great. If they can do something physical, because that's just another way to use that other side of their brain, the more lateral side of their brain. So when they go to school, I think they they need to be, you know, academic of the year, and that's not true. They do need to use their brain, but they don't need to use it probably in the way they think they need to, which is why I use the arts primarily because through the arts I can do all the mentoring. I can literally lavish it upon them and they're none the wiser. <laughs> yeah.
1: I love that. So creativity, it sounds like for you especially. Creativity is the key to the mentoring like by stealth. Yeah, well,
0: um, I did a I did a guitar, I did some guitar lessons. And the good thing about the guitar at at a certain age is that most of them are totally hopeless at it. Totally, you're starting at ground zero. And because they're all particularly bad at it, they don't have an issue with someone being particularly good at it, unlike maths or English or geography. They're all bad at it, which is um, the perfect premise for any team-building event, is that you get to do something with them that they have no clue. So it's a, it's a whole bunch of giggles. And when you, when they are, they're okay In a classroom when they are all useless at it. And you can poke fun and get a bit of humor involved. But at least no one grandstands anyone else because they're all they all suck at it, right? And then they pull a few notes together and they think they were a clapton. So they, you know, they can feel really good about themselves doing very little, you know, doing very little. And I really like that. And you would find that hard following the conventional curriculum.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they get a small win. They get they, their confidence boosts, their enthusiasm. Exactly. I, I love that. And before you know it, they can form a band. Exactly. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of team building, so back in the day, back in 2000 to 2003, my husband and I worked at Outward Bound, which is in Mulber Sound. It's basically oh. the outdoors as a medium for personal development and personal discovery. One of the things I loved about that is we would usually, we would team up. There would be two of us. As instructors for three weeks, we would have a group of 14 strangers come together mm. for three weeks, and we and they do kayaking and rock climbing and ab sailing and whatever, um, solo, say you know, sailing a boat and all and all the things. But one of the things I loved is so the students got to see good men, right? Good men. Yeah. And here's the thing: not just being good at outdoorsy things, but good men having deep conversations because one of the skills the instructors have because we're trained is to debrief you know whatever happened. So okay, we went kayaking and this happened and that happened. Well how did you feel and what you know what would you have changed and what did you learn about yourself and conversations that people don't normally have they normally would go and do an activity and go that was fun or that was yeah. really hard and that's the end of it. but no we kind of dive deep you know we peel back the onion we sit around oh. we have a conversation. but I think for especially the guys that come along to see these men, get, you know, be able to have deep conversations and and get, you know, genuine and authentic about maybe the hardest thing for them wasn't the kayaking. It was asking for help to load the trailer because they didn't know how to tie the knot or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I personally I wish that everyone in New Zealand could go and do an outward bound course at some point, partly for that reason, to get some yeah. of those
0: There are aspects of um, I I also know the outward bound experience. There are aspects of that I try to put in all my programs. Um, Under that is some critical thinking, which I I don't know. uh, I don't know what's happened to the education system, but it seems to be rather devoid of critical thinking. And and I don't think there's, I don't think they're ever too young, you know, depending on what the subject is, of course. But I like to, well, because it's my sense of humour. I like to throw them a, you know, a sideball every now and again just to see how they react, because it's funny. And you're dealing with kids. And I, I like to use humour. Again, I don't know what's happened to the classroom, but that seems to be rather missing, <laughs> literally from every school in the country. Um, if anything, we should study humour, comedy. We just don't. It just seems to be like, no, there's no time to uh, joke around or laugh around or, or anything like that. Um, so I use humour a lot. Because, I mean, I think it suggests you have some sort of affability, which is what you need, especially with kids who are particularly shy, withdrawn or introverted so forth. Um, you, you need to show them that you're not just the pillar and a decent bloke. You're human too. We have, we have problems. Um, in my art classes, I make stuff and I make mistakes. And I end up to them and say, oh, God, that's rubbish. Oh, that was never going to work. So you have to be also self-deprecating because then they don't feel they need to be tough all the time. They don't feel they need to be right all the time. They have to get everything right or they have to follow and they have to follow it exactly. It's just not life. So I make mistakes. I play the wrong chord or the wrong notes and they can have a bit of a giggle. I can have a giggle too. Um, I try to do the stuff. When I think of our curriculum, I try to do the stuff that's not in our curriculum. Humor, comedy, critical thinking. Um, questions from out of nowhere that don't mean anything to anyone and of course topical stuff because they don't tend to talk about the topical stuff either, that seems to be just in the realm of adults but I don't know why uh, younger children don't get involved and certainly anything political is pretty much washed over as well and I like to um, imbue my classes with that as well because that's part of life Especially over the last three years, you, I would have thought there would have been a lot more critical thinking, even at even at that age.
1: I'm not sure about critical thinking. Definitely indoctrination. I, I remember when the Ukraine war, quote unquote, started, and um, the kids would come home, and there was these badges. You know, they could wear these badges, and I'm like, "Where did you get that? That some ribbon, some yellow and blue ribbon?" I'm like, "Why are you wearing that?" Mm. Um, and I said, "You know, there's been strife in Ukraine well before the media told us about it." And yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, it's interesting times. I'd love to ask the audience. So who in your life has positively influenced you? And specifically, if there was a good man, role model, someone was who was a mentor for you growing up, we'd love to hear about it. You can send us a text 2057. Or if you prefer email inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear, Lionel and I would love to hear, um, who has positively influenced you. And I love what you're pointing out, to Lionel, because I was, of course, thinking school, 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 but I think this extracurricular piece that you that you and I are discussing is so crucial. It's a great opportunity for the kids to interact with more good men. Like our my youngest, he's twelve. He just started doing wushu kung fu, oh. and um, and it's amazing. And he, you know, he's been our one child that some of our kids they do all the things. Like Jonah will do anything that's going. He'll he's all in. Ruby, same thing. Very disciplined. Triathlon. Cheerleading very full on. This guy nothing. Not in, my, and my husband's like, "Do you want to do soccer?" "No, do you want to ride bike?" "No, you need to do something, you need to choose something, you're going to miss out." And I'm like, "Babe, he doesn't want to do it. It's all good." Anyway, at the age of 12, he's found something he's into. He loves it. And he's doing these putting his arms out and kicking these high kicks and then he's like, "Oh, I have to go and stretch. I have to go and stretch." And he's got these amazing instructors, two males and one woman, and it's discipline, but it's fun it's this beautiful combination of being like serious and focused, but it's actually also fun. And he loves the fact that he can like use swords and do these cool th- tricks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, and th- Hey, that's two, two extra men in his life. Cause we don't have any of none of their uncles live in, in our same city. The grandparents don't live in the same city. We don't have that family male influence on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. Other than that. So um, I guess my question to the audience is where can you, invite other good men into the your lives of your children to be like these pseudo-uncles or positive role models or mentors.
0: Yeah well you're talking about the idea of having a car we do that all the time I work on cars all the time. Yeah blokes talk bloke stuff and I, I suppose things like cars. I mean I could go to any school in the country and say right at lunchtime I'm gonna be throwing an axe (laughs) at a piece of wood, and I'll get every boy in the school meeting me at lunchtime because they want to see me throw an axe at a piece of wood. It sounds really basic, but it's not that hard actually to consider what do young boys, what are they interested in? Cars, anything rough, anything martial arts, anything that gets your hands dirty, tangible stuff. It's actually not that hard. The hard thing is actually getting the male staff. And then, of course, in a school setting, everything's so PC now. It's it's your, You've got one hand tied behind your back. Yeah. The beauty of me going into a school is that actually I'm not a teacher per se. I'm not a qualified teacher. So I, I work in the grey, which has kind of been my entire career, actually. I can do more in that space uh, than probably what a qualified teacher can, not because of anything other than that's what you'd expect, right? So if a school brings you on, they expect you to do something that they can't do. Yeah. So you kind of take the full liberty of that, I guess. And I certainly have, because I, if I think to myself, if I can't change anything, why turn up? If I don't think I can do anything, I don't turn up. What's the point? Um, If I'm going to take the effort to go somewhere, go to a school, talk to kids, then I'm expecting change and not small changes. I, I need, I need to feel like I've made a change. So um. yeah, uh, bringing an ex to a school, uh, that, might, that might be an interesting next step. Um.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's an idea. It's an idea. Okay, so I wanted to ask you, um, before we get to the four questions that I ask all my guests, I'd love yes. to ask you, what else, is there one other issue that you are worried about or concerned about in terms of kids growing up these days, right? Like when you and I were growing up, it was like, yeah, there were drugs and drinking or, you know, opportunities yeah. to get in trouble. But today, there's like a lot more opportunities to to fall off the path. So what are you concerned about?
0: There's a whole lot of little things, but they're the same as the same issues we had when when we well, certainly when I was younger. Um, I suppose the big difference is phones. So when I was at school, there were no phones. Actually, I, I'm so old. There was actually no internet. So... Um, my generation with children, we're really the first generation of parenting that is, has that is actually had to deal with our children having these devices and everything that comes with it, everything that comes with it. Um, broad stroke I would say that most parents are pretty lax because it's the first time we can't model our parenting after our parents. They didn't have it either. So we're the very first. So I think that's a biggie. So how we deal with that in terms of access, or actually just having a device, I mean, most of them are $500 to $1,000. We just never had anything that expensive, period. But the fact that you can access the kind of information they can access, we we couldn't access anything. So um, they can come up with answers for lots of things at, at the drop of a hat. We're not worried about that, obviously. We're worried about the more silicious material that they have access to. So I think that's that's the biggest one. Schools, they can do so much. Um, but parents, because we are really the first generation that's had to deal with this particular problem, I think we're pretty useless at it on the whole. Now, there's going to be a lot of listeners saying, well, I'm not, and that's fine. I'm just saying, from, from what I can tell, it's a bit of a nightmare because no one really knows what they're doing. There's no, like, generalised guideline that turns up on your TV screen and tells you to follow steps one to ten. There isn't. You kind of have to work it out yourself, and really it comes down to how much you can tolerate as a parent. I mean, as a pacifying device, it's it's there's been nothing like it. It's amazing, um, which is why, I mean, in our generation, it was TV. So we were kicked out of the house constantly because we just wanted to sit down and watch TV. That was our pacifying device. Now it's the phone, but obviously the phone has has, uh, access to a lot more than what we were ever privy to. So I think there, there probably needs to be some very honest discussions between the children of the house and, and the parents in terms of expectations and seeing if they seeing if they can be met in a practical fashion. And if, then, of course, you have the schools and they have their own policies.
1: Um, it's interesting, just on that note at school, because I've got three kids at three different schools and it's interesting yeah. to see how they handle it. Um, what I really like is when the schools don't let them be on their phone at lunchtime. Because Mm. a lot of the kids find when they're allowed to be on their phone at lunchtime, everyone's just head down on the phone. And it's very awkward with socializing. And unless you're off in the field playing rugby, people are just sitting in circles on their phone. And so Mm. I think if we can encourage the schools, you know, to, yep, they hand their phone in when they arrive and then they get it at the end of the day. But at lunchtime, they just just let them be kids.
0: Well, it has changed the behavior. So, I mean, we could. At the very least, it's a device that they have access to the universe, literally, but it actually changes their behavior because they now know that they can be critiqued for anything at any time, which means they are now more likely to not do a lot more as opposed to my generation. Unless you saw it happen, it didn't happen, right? But when you're in a school setting, they can't play rugby, they can't play netball, they can't drop a pencil, they can't... Um, eat their lunch without potentially being either recorded or seen and commented on online. We just didn't have that kind of pressure or stress. And because of that, what you get is that you get children that are more withdrawn, they're, they're uh, they're less likely to do things that are either spontaneous or fun or risky, Because they're thinking this could turn up online in any country in the world, especially if they get it wrong. So I find they don't take, they don't tend to take a lot of risks, which for me drives me crazy as a facilitator because I want them to take risks. I want them to scream to the top of their lungs. I don't, I don't care what they look like. I just don't care. But I want them to know what that feels like, for example. And they've got this mentality that, the whole world is watching them. So they do become more withdrawn and phones have been around for a while now. So you've kids that are at college now have had them their whole lives effectively. They've had this phone culture, their whole lives. So a 17, 18 year old in their last year of college is, is, is what paranoid basically because they know that everyone has a device and Anyone in the world, not just their friends, can comment on anything. So they get rather uptight about things that they probably don't need to. So it's not just the device and and what they can have access to. It's actually how it's changing their behavior, which is something I try to um, crack, I guess. yeah.
1: I think there's such good points there because when I think of phones, I think of time, like the amount on the phone, the EMFs, which is electromagnetic frequencies as well as access to content that we probably don't want them to see. But on top of that, what you, the most important thing, well, all, they're all important is that constant surveillance, right? or constant like threat to their privacy, and yeah. that just is something that probably just eats away at them subconsciously. It's full on. And I guess we're not really we won't know the ramifications. Um, but hey, if we' if any listeners have any thoughts on that for themselves, what's working for you? In terms of your your kids, your teenagers, in terms of the phone use, let us know. Of course, there's some apps you can get so they can't get access to certain things, which I know they can get around. I've got a friend who was saying they get their Wi-Fi turns off at whatever, 10 o'clock at night. But then the kid just taps into the neighbor's Wi-Fi. Yeah. So, yeah. How do you manage it? We're, we're open to hearing your views. Um, hey, Lionel, before we go to the questions, anything else you want to add before I ask you about your Up Your Brave question?
0: No, but to, to those parents that are, and I'm guessing a lot are, that are wondering how to do this, again, go to the same place the kids go to, Google. You'll have, you'll have all the answers you probably ever need in terms of how, how you manage that balance of your kids using them as a as a pacifier, which is great, because every adult needs a break. But then, it, like everything else, you need to exhibit some moderation or it just gets, it gets a bit out of hand. Um, I mean, let's not to mention the top end is that of people taking their lives because of the kind of pressure that they believe they're under because of uh, literally their profiles being littered online and, and and the kind of critique and judgments that you can you can receive. So um it's it's no joke. Um, but everyone has a a different view, I suppose, and uh, yeah, power to you all.
1: I think if we can empower our youth to be present to be confident, like self-confident. Mm. I don't mean cocky, I mean self-confident. And, you know, resilient is an overused word, but um to to not judge themselves and not, it's so easy to worry about what other people think, but especially in this day and age of the this the phone, um, if we can give them that time when they're offline and we can role model it too, because obviously I'm I'm online a lot, but I also love turning it off, you know, going into my garden or sitting in the sun. Yep. And so just making sure that we're we're kind of we're walking the talk. Agreed. Agreed. All right, let's go to the question. So number one, what is one um one time in the last year when you've truly upped your brave?
0: Upped my brave. Well, uh about halfway through the pandemic, i I had a fairly cushy job. I, mana enhancing, and I was feeling good about myself, and I was waking up, seizing the day, and all that. It was cut slightly short—a contract uh, where I was I was training people. It was cut short because we couldn't have a class environment, um, so it wasn't a mandate of sorts. We just couldn't have the kind of we couldn't have a class environment, so that got shut down. And after a while, I, I kind of reveled back, I guess, and the, the being brave part was just not reacting to it. The whole world was going mad. Um, certainly, uh, the employment sector was, was you know, in jitters. And I decided to just wait it out, you know, kind of get through the shock. The whole world was going through the what do I do now? Basically, self-induced midlife crisis. And I decided that, well, after, after I juggled all my priorities and kind of took a breath, I decided that I'd go back to be what actually I am by nature, and that's an artist. Um, Before that time, I I kind of uh, looked at my academic side and, you know, I was doing what everyone else did, get educated, get a bit of job, get more educated, get a bit of job, get more educated, and so on. And I I guess after um, 2021... Thought no, actually, I'm gonna really revert back to a much an earlier iteration of myself and go back to being an artist, uh, go back to doing carving and painting, and just stay there and see how that goes. But actually, give myself give myself time to see if I can go back there because it's been about 15 years since I was actually doing that, and it was fun and good, and I might have been a bit rusty. I don't know, but I wanted to give it a go because I just the times are just so uncertain, mm. Um and then I thought, well, hey, maybe this is uh, this was kind of my retirement plan. I'm getting on, but I'm not that getting on. And I thought maybe it's just come forward a few years, so maybe this is what's supposed to happen. So uh getting brave is actually to eschew a um, a normal nine to five job with a, a constant income and um, do something really silly, become an artist and 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 cross your fingers and hope for the best
1: well it looks like it's going well for you you know it is a time that a lot of people are call it what you will reinventing reimagining and for you even revisiting mm. something that they a talent you know a skill a career that they had in the past and and for a lot of people it is coming full circle you know for me i started off doing you know as a parenting author and podcaster and now that I've coached people in human design, I've kind of come full circle. I'm helping moms again to understand their mm-hmm. children. And, and it's, it's interesting how sometimes a curveball, a massive curveball, like the yeah. COVID thing can open up, you know, there's positive sides sometimes can open up doorways back to the future as such. Um, okay, yeah. the next question is about the bucket list, which is what is one thing on your bucket list that the RCR community can possibly help you to do, be, or experience?
0: Great question. Well, uh, so I started this a, a few months ago, but I've decided to just become an artist. Um, and I would like to do what I did about 15 years ago, which I, I had an exhibition at uh, at Loptoe Gallery in Titarangi. So I suppose if there are any listeners who have either a, a gallery or a cafe, a large space, something, some corporate environment with large walls, or walls that uh, have a an audience of sorts, um, that would be great.
1: Um, How large well, are we talking?
0: Well, I mean, a cafe would be large, I guess, and then I could just throw something up. I mean, I, oh, I've, I'm I'm trying to use good language. I mean, galleries, <laughs> galleries are all good and fine. They have their place, but there's actually between a person working out of their garage or veranda like I am or somewhere else in a gallery, there's really no middle ground. It's a bit like being a musician in New Zealand. You either have got a contract with Sony or you're singing in the shower, into the shower head, um, and then not a lot in between. And I'm looking for that in between. So I don't need to go into a gallery because it requires a whole lot of other palaver, but... If anyone's got a a cafe or or a nice place where people, you know, don't mind looking at the walls, that would be awesome. Uh, I have to let the art do the talking, but I need the space. So I don't know.
1: You never know. Well, that sounds amazing. And it leads very nicely into my next question, which is, well, how can people connect with you if they do want to see your art or maybe get it on their wall? Um, And what have you got coming up?
0: Well, like quite a few people, I am absolutely useless when it comes to that um, uh, to that side. I think I, my daughter actually had to create my Instagram account, and that was about five six years ago. And I, I and I get these alerts, and I don't know what to do them do with them. I'm I'm an old fuddy-duddy mm-hmm. and rather old-fashioned, so I'm rather terrible um, at marketing myself.
1: All right. Well, they can reach out to me because I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs>
0: That's brilliant. Um, I'm a tattooist as well, and I'm probably the worst tattooist in the world because I don't have a page. I don't have business cards. I I just, when people come across my way, um, that's great. But I, other than that, I don't actually uh, actively promote myself. I, I kind of leave it to the, to the universe. Um, and it's really bad as an artist to do that. I understand that. And maybe that's my absolutely hopeless point of difference, but I am rather pathetic when it comes to promoting myself, unfortunately. Well, maybe if you
1: come to my networking club, I can hook you up. But yeah. Um, yeah. in the meantime, if people want to see your work, I'm sure hopefully they do you have, Do you know the Instagram handle?
0: No, of course okay. not. I just told you how useless I was.
1: All right, you guys, I'll see if I can put a post on my Up Your Brave with Natalie Cutler Welsh uh, Facebook page and Up Your Brave on Instagram. I'll see if I can share a story or share a post from Lionel if I can find him. And that's hilarious. You're very elusive. But I, I agree. Sometimes the way that you and I met, I mean, we just met because a friend of mine brought you along as a free guest to come to my club. So I am, you know, synergy, the universe brings people together. It's all good. Um, Hey, before we wrap things up, anything else you want to comment on about our topic of keeping kids safe?
0: Keeping kids safe. Yes. Well, maybe here's a point. Um, I'm sure other parents have thought the same thing. Um, Most parents come from a time where we were allowed to take more risks. There were also more threats. Uh, We were allowed to climb trees. You can go to school and not be allowed to climb a tree. Which means, obviously, we're allowed to fall out of a tree and and deal with whatever it follows after you fall out of a tree. Um, the schools aren't perfect. The education system isn't perfect. But as a parent, you have the full power to really turn things around. You don't need a good school. You don't even need a good teacher. But you need to be a good parent because that is the only thing you've got as a backstop. You. You're the only thing that can uh, really make the difference. And I think a lot of people pay probably a little bit too much attention to how good the school is, the suburb they live in, the, the, the decile rating, how many male teachers there are. Sure, there, there's no perfect education system. There's no perfect school. Uh, there's also no perfect parent, but really you're the difference. And uh, there's probably too many parents just dropping their kids off at school, expecting the, the school system to kind of fill in the void. And that's just unrealistic and anecdotally just look at the outcomes it doesn't work you have to get involved you have to be a lot more proactive and you have to fill in the gaps where the education system and there's no perfect education system in in the world there's there isn't so you shouldn't think by dropping your kid off that you've done your bit because you just haven't you need to do so much more sounds a bit judgy but those are my those are my last words unfortunately
1: no, it's all good. I mean, there's ample opportunity, right? For us yeah. to positively impact our kids. And I'm a big fan of um, t- treating well everybody, but our kids in particular equal, but not the same, yeah. Meaning, you know, so they're equal, but they're not the same. So I'm going to parent one of my kids slightly different than the other in terms of the way that I motivate or incentivize or, or it's how do I spend time with that kid? It's going to be slightly different. And I think um, for me, that that seems to work well. Something I'm always working on, because I'm not amazing at it, is being present. Uh, yeah. you know, so when I'm there, I'm there. I'm not like my head, you know, I'm on my phone, or I'm thinking of something else. And it's like, when I'm there, I want to be there. And that's a constant, something that I'm constantly working on. Um, and really cherishing the moments, because you remember when they were little, and everyone would come up to you, like even... Older yep. parents would come up to me when I had like these three kids under the age of five and they'd say, Oh, enjoy it while it lasts. They grow up so fast. And you'd yep. be like, I'm so exhausted. Like, oh my God. But they were right.
0: Yep. Hey, they say the biggest form of child abuse is neglect. And when I first heard that a few years ago, I didn't understand it. I didn't, un- I thought, How can neglect be abuse? They haven't done anything. But it's because as kids, we will largely left to our own devices i never thought of it in a in a in a, in a negative way we were riding horses and we're off you must remember we didn't have phones so we could have been anywhere <laughs> our parents also could have been anywhere <laughs> um but you know when i heard that i didn't understand it but i get it now and it most definitely is is the biggest form of abuse so um to be present is obviously the best way to mitigate that that little thing that little thing which is actually the biggest problem we have so um, no good on you
1: yeah well amazing to chat to you thank you for your for, for weighing in on this really important discussion um amazing to have you here thanks so much lionel
0: thank you you're listening to up your brave on rcr reality check
1: radio